Welcome to the Red Review podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Hello, mate. How are we doing? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I've been in the office. Oh, I've been yeah, out of lockdown into central London. Yeah, I saw your escapades on Insta, on the tube and whatnot. Yeah, it's good, actually. It was nice to have a change of scenery. Office is, like, empty, so it's like there was a Monday there were five people, four people on the floor plate, and yesterday there were six, so of an office that, I don't know how many desks there are on that floor plate, do you reckon, on the third floor? I don't know, 150? Yeah, I should think so. Maybe closer to 200, probably. Yes, six people. So, yeah, it was good. Went out for after work Aperol spritzes. It was lovely. Got too pissed, the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. So, listeners, they were recording this on a Wednesday. We should be recording it on Tuesday. I did go out because there's some bars near Liverpool Street Station in London and they have a Broadgate Circle and they've got outside seating. And it turned out just before lockdown, Aperol had sponsored the bar and sent them loads and loads of Aperol to do like a big kind of thing over the summer. And then because of lockdown, they just got loads to get rid of. So they're selling it really cheap. So we sat and had a few Aperol spritzes, which meant I was late home, which meant I was in trouble with producer Kate, which meant that she then decided to take extra long to cook dinner whilst I was very hungry and a bit pissed so that we missed the podcasting recording. <laughs> Technically, it's the third time of asking tonight because we actually recorded this episode and fucked the sound up as well. We again, it was me. I decided to try and do it on my Jabra, my kind of meeting speaker that I've got, my plug-in speaker for my laptop, and it sounded like I was in a bath 100 miles away from the microphone with live traffic running over the top of me. So hopefully it's better now I'm back on the headset. We'll see. We'll see. Is this one going to go out as video and audio or just audio? It's audio. Our first video is going to be our episode at winning the business virtual experience that's going to be our first video will this one go out before then because that's will we had one go out today which is wednesday the 15th this one will go out on saturday so we kind of catch up on ourselves so that when winning the business goes live we can go live with series two video cast the future me and you on video and of course we'll keep the audio version for everyone who listens on audio but i think there's a place for video podcasts as well as we've discussed before it's going to be a shorter version of the audio podcast um, that will go out on video so you'll still get extra bits if you're a podcast subscriber yeah yeah but yeah, we're changing the format. We might be retiring things like question of the day. It's going to be good. I'm really excited by it. Yeah, me too. We are practicing being on video because it's weird being able to constantly have to look at Jeremy now while speaking because we used to do it obviously just by audio. <laughs> Producer Kate just walked behind us to get herself a twirl. Good choice of chocolate. Very good choice. Respect that massively. To try and stop eating all the chocolate, I made her put it in her wardrobe. So all of the chocolate now goes in their wardrobe and we go shopping. So I'm rationed because during lockdown and working at home, I got a bit snacky. Yeah, I know the feeling. How's your Noom going? Badly. I hadn't realised how expensive it is until, I don't know why, but I think I must have signed up and thought it was for a year rather than it was for three months. But uh, the weight loss is going okay. But yeah, my engagement with that app sort of fell apart, really, just because I've been so busy. So I'm just weighing myself and putting it into a different app I already had and things like that again. Fair enough. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about capture. And then as a sort of derivative of that, accelerated pursuit is the core of the discussion. Interesting. Shall we jump into it? Yeah, let's go for it. So, Jeremy, as we emerge from the pandemic and into a potential economic depression, although we might be able to spend our way out of it, 
we talked about a lot of opportunities coming in, potentially things that were delayed because of COVID now coming to market, clients who've extended and expanded contracts over a limited period of time coming back to market now for those big renewals. And obviously, as we kind of talked about previously, government-backed stimulus, the Boris boom in the UK and Trump spending heavy on infrastructure in the US and other areas. So big organisations need to focus everything they can do on getting ready for that kind of wave as it comes Q4, so Q4 21. I'm not sure we should, I should say the word wave because wave now kind of has a sin with COVID, doesn't it? Yes. I, so we're going to talk about kind of what good practice looks like. And I guess the first place to start is what is capture? I said it on a webinar today, actually, I said our capture process. I did a, a work winning webinar today in Mace and got a lot of questions about capture and what it actually was. So what, go on and give us a definition of capture. Because obviously I teach it, so I should know the answer, shouldn't I? I do the APMP thing. So it's the APMP have actually got quite a nice graphic that take you through three or four key steps that are from going from an unknown position to a known position to a favoured position with a client. And so it's the process of doing that in effect. It's the process of getting closest to the client, getting your people in front of their people, but also the bit that I think goes beyond APMP's methodology is where possible co-solutioning with the client to create an unbeatable answer to their business problem that hopefully they negotiate with you should be the primary objective. The secondary objective is if they don't negotiate with you that you are better positioned than anyone else to win the competitive tender. So that's the way that I would position it, I think, or Kajit. Isn't that just sales? No. Well, yeah, I guess actually. So to define <laughs> it, it's a campaign to do that, a properly structured, robust campaign, which is the bit that natural salespeople aren't so good at. They're massively typecasting, but they're not so good at the detail. And capture is the space in between that BD phase of lead gen and giving your bid team the best possible chance of winning. It's the linkage between the two. It's the missing link. I would say. Yeah, and I guess ideally on that capture time frame to be what, 12, 18 months? Yeah, I was actually, there was an article that one of the founding fathers, I think, of APMP had written eight donkeys years ago that I stumbled across on the internet. I've gone and forgotten who it was, but it was great to see. They talked about 18 months as the ideal time frame as well, actually. I think others do too. So yeah, I think the received wisdom is that ideally you should give yourself 18 months, but I certainly say it's got to be a minimum of nine to be able to do some proper meaningful capture. I think that's right. I think people, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast, got frustrated with our bid team who had coined the term capture for the work they do within the last week before a bid comes out on kind of the final thing of who do we know, what's our hot, what's the client's hot buttons, what's our win team's going to be because, you know, a client's put a pin notice out and the bid might be coming out in a month's time. And for the UK, just for those who don't work in the public sector in the UK, pin notice is kind of like a prior information notice that a client might put out to the public sector saying, I'm going to do a procurement exercise in the next month because you a bit of notice before they suddenly drop a tender out. And in the ideal world, we're doing capture for everything, but there is a lot of stuff where clients are adapting to changing demands quickly and suddenly put stuff out to market so pin notice is a good way to notify on that and frustrated that people use the term capture to describe that bid prep yeah that's it's bid prep actually that's what i would call it i think pistol pete at harmonic calls it bidding readiness or something like that i saw on a podcast he was doing with contracts advance i think the other day which on obviously those massive defense bids that i guess harmonic would be typecast with 
that in itself could take months and months just getting your ducks in a row if you're doing those multi-billion dollar things but yeah that's not capture i would agree with you captures more longer term than that but it's funny you mentioned pin notices because again part of the opening spiel that i give in webinars on this and in the training is there's nothing worse than that sinking feeling of when you're at a bidder's conference when client pumps out a pin notice and then does a kind of industry engagement event alongside it and everybody sits there sort of sinking in their seat because the clients clearly quite heavily define their scope and their specification and they're just basically telling you what it's going to be they pretend <laughs> that it's an engagement thing and they want feedback and all that sort of stuff but relatively speaking it's a done deal but you and your smartest competitors are all sitting there thinking this is shit and if they <laughs> if, if we just got in front of them you know the amount of times i've been to those sorts of bidders conferences and just really your heart sinks that if you just got in front of the client a year before you could have shaped something that would be better faster cheaper have better social impact because they're generally specifying things that are five years out of date or you know at least you've got something up your sleeve that could do it better and you know some of your competitors do too so you end up bidding to the spec and then trying to create some oxygen for something a bit innovative where you can within the envelope of the tender as opposed to working with the client to build a solution that actually knocks them off their feet and so yeah i did that ypo procurement conference you know last year i gave that speech about why don't we have hackathons you know, stop coming to the market with the aunt what you think the answer is come to the market with the question and we'll tell you what the answer is you know so it's about giving yourself the space with clients to do that because the bit I've forgotten to put in the show notes is if you look at the Chartered Institute of Purchasing's sourcing process, most of their work happens far before the ITT comes out, obviously, looking at the market, doing their research and all that sort of stuff. That's, there could be this beautiful, beautiful synergy moment where you happen to come across their path with a wonderful idea, just as they're shaping what they think the procurement could look like. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that actually, you know, no organisation just suddenly decides to write an ITT and puts out. They go through a lot of process of scoping, business case, independent internal scrutiny and getting budgetary approval, all that stuff. And actually, if you didn't know any of that was happening at all, A, you could test whether your kind of CRM, your relationship management is right in the first place. If you've got a solid client relationship, you didn't know this thing was coming. But secondly, if you didn't know it was coming, you're right, there's probably someone else who did know. I guess really there is kind of proven stats and evidence that doing capture does impact on your win rates in a good way. Yes. Well, I think my point of view is you can't do capture on every opportunity that the business is going to bid because you probably you won't have the bandwidth for that. Or certainly most organisations won't have the bandwidth for that. So for me, capture is about focus. It's about picking your top five opportunities in your pipeline or the top three opportunities per sector that your business faces into the really key planks of the business plan, the must wins. And particularly the bit that a lot of people forget about when they're talking about capture is incumbency as well, where, where you're the incumbent capturing the rebid or the retender of that contract you've got that runs out in two years time because you've got to deliver to win again. So what's the plan to do that and defend against your competitors? So you can use the same methodology with a few tweaks to rewin deals too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So any other thoughts about benefits on capture? Yeah, I didn't really talk about the the win rate bit. So yeah, I mean it's there's demonstrable evidence that where companies focus on opportunities before they come out generally, but also with that pinpoint focus through capture that their win rate on those key pursuits goes up significantly. Whether or not it's to the detriment of some of their other opportunities is another matter. But the overall success of the business is increased. So yeah, when we created my strategic pursuits team at EC Harris. 
our win rate went from something in the 60s on key deals to way above 85. I think my personal win rate as a bid manager, but operating those cap in that capture sphere, it was like 92 over. Really? Yeah, yeah. Value that was rather than volume of bids because we bid a couple of small ones that were sprats to catch mackerels and lost them and things like that. But the we won all of the big deals that we went for. Jeez. So it's in our bidding listeners' interest to be promoting capture back into their business because actually as a bid professional, you want a great win rate. Is that yeah. the hidden trick to improving your win rate? This is something that bid people need to be champion as well. It's not just a sales tool or a business unit tool. It's actually a wider part of the bidding process. Which I guess maybe is why you see organisations like the APMP now kind of branching into talking about capture because you could argue sales rather than bidding, but maybe it's such an important tool. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote that article for Martin Smith's BQ thing on this, that I think it's a golden opportunity for bidding people, because we've got the attributes, the organisation project management skills, as well as the proposition skills, the other half of the job, that it's just expanding what we want to do in the strategy development phase of a bid anyway. It's just stretching that off into the distance upstream so that we get a better outcome by the time it comes into the war room. And that's how I sort of built my personal brand at EC Harris. I I knew as a bidding professional I was winning when I had senior partners requesting to work with me over other bidding people in the business, even if it was taking me out of one thing or putting me into another or whatnot. And it was because I'd actively started to help them shape opportunities before they got anywhere near to tender. That was kind yeah. of where I started in that down the stream of that whole capture piece because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You get to work on the best stuff if you shape it with the best people. Yeah, actually, there's a personal benefit as well, then, isn't there? For doing it, it helps you be a better bid person, which in turn opens up new opportunities in your organisation, or I yeah. guess even outside your organisation. Yeah, it gets us away from that being on receive, that negative vibe you get from a lot of bidding people that, oh, you know, I've just been given another crap bid, we're never going to win. Well, turn it around, turn it on its head, get up, you know, get into the pipeline with the business, start getting them to bid no bid things better, but start getting them to focus their efforts, do some capture on some key pursuits. And it's amazing how that turns around in a year or two and you're, you've got, a, you know, a properly market-facing work-winning organisation. The business benefit in terms of engaging your business and its leaders with the benefits case is there's demonstrable evidence as well that you tend to win deals at a higher margin with a lower cost of sale overall. So the pro- it's the same as anything with bidding, the human nature of leaving things to the last minute and trying to scrimp on things as businesses do. Actually, if you invest smarter a little bit up front, it saves you a lot of heartache downstream. You know, It saves you the late nights in the main saves you lots of consultants and the rest of it trying to throw your bid together. If you've done all the hard work with a few touch points upstream, it puts you in a lot better position. It's more efficient overall, certainly certainly on bigger deals. So exploring that capture thing a bit more, key elements of good capture, I reckon we can name five. I would think so. So when when we recorded this, (laughs) as he looks at the show notes, so when we recorded this last time and we screwed the sound up, you came up with a really good couple of points, actually, which were the final two in the list that I'd come up with in the show notes. But the three that I always talk about in webinars on this stuff is sponsorship, trust and value. I call it the three things we know to be true in Catcher. And sponsorship works the same for bidding, too. If you haven't got somebody senior behind your capture initiative pushing it, playing a part in it, 
tends to not go as well. It tends to fail. You need someone from your board or someone pretty senior to get behind it and play a sponsorship role, which might only be turning up to the first 10 minutes of the odd meeting and just reminding people how important it is. But it means that it tends to attract the best people. You get the best resources. You get that war room that you need for the bid later on. You know, the business is aware of it. It's talked about over coffee in the breaks in board meetings. And that makes such an incredible difference when you get onto a bid. You really know the difference between a bid that's sponsored and one that isn't. I guess sponsored is a key word there because, mm. you know, and I've seen this kind of poor behaviour previously in other places where people use a senior person, the business's name and involvement in the bid to get people to do stuff. And it's not just about them being involved or saying, you need to do this because X is involved or X is responsible for this bid, that actually it's they are actively involved in shaping and driving rather than just being the name that the bid team can use to go and beat people up. It's definitely sponsorship rather than just kind of ownership. And I like the word sponsorship because it, it's the right word, isn't it? It's more like someone is helping to shape and supporting as opposed to just they're the name that, that people can use to kind of A, chuck around when they need something done and B, that's the kind of the ass gets kicked if it doesn't get, if it's not successful. Yeah, it's not. It should be much more about carrot than stick and they should be the senior sort of partner to the bid or the opportunity that you can go and deploy to sort out the problems. Funny, because in our previous conversations, you've always been very stick and I've always been very carrot. But this is one case where you prefer the carrot to the stick. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, capture doesn't really work if you force people to do it because it's more in that sales phase. It's more emotion, I think, than you're not in that hot phase of sort of forming a bid. It's less pressured, which is partly why I enjoy working in it probably more than I enjoy working on live bids at points because you're really able to do some quite cool stuff without the hard time bound pressure if you've only got four weeks to a hard deadline and you can be a bit more flexible with it so yes sponsorship's important the next one was trust because as we always say people buy people so it's about getting your people of various levels engaged with the client's people building relationships because fundamentally they're buying your people to work with them not just to deliver their business outcome that's also in their probably in their personal scorecards and affects their bonus and you know, career and all that stuff but also they're probably going to be stuck with those people for a, a couple of years on you know, big stuff if not more so they need to know that they can work with them and trust them and so that whole human experience bit is important and then the third one for me that I talk about is value that you've got to have a really well crafted and verified value proposition with the client that resonates with them they get why they should buy you and it's irrefutable and there's clear blue space between you and your competition they see the business outcome you're going to deliver for them how it's bigger than everyone else's so those are the three big things for me but you had a couple of really good searing points of detail last time as well you talked about research and you talked about teaming as well oh yeah so i guess maybe this is more relevant to i know maybe not but in the consultancy market teaming and looking at your supply chain and building a team pre-bid is really important for the major pursuits that we do very rarely do we bid on our own almost never do we bid on our own actually but either we'll bid with a supply chain or we'll bid in joint venture, unincorporated joint venture with partners. And I think in that capture phase, there's a lot of work you can do in trying to define your team and therefore you can test that team with the client. Particularly if you're in a favorable position and let's say it's you and one other firm and you take that proposition to the client, you say that we're going to come together given what you're looking to achieve out of this procurement, what do you think? If you've got that good relationship, they can say, well, actually you're missing X or you're missing Y. And actually in the reverse, I've had where we were teamed with someone, they went to see the client and the client will actually don't team with them. Mm. Uh, me talking in code 
don't team with the company that you're currently teamed with. Go team with this company and you'll probably win. And funnily enough, they ditched us. Bit of a stitch up, ditched us, went with someone else and won the deal because mm. the client wanted that other firm and wanted to get the team they wanted. So just like quite often you talk about like, you know, when a client comes to bid, they'll have a good understanding of who they might want to award to. Actually, in the shaping of the tender, they might well have a view of, I want a company like X or I want a company like Y to be part of this team because they've got a perception. They bring a certain capability, credibility. And actually like, you know, I have seen procurement people who do that. I did a big to public sector job where the client had a very clear idea of the two or three companies they want in their shortlist. From mm-hmm. the construction side, we were consultancy side. I only, I only found this after they appointed the contractor. And all through kind of the capture pre-bid phase had shaped their capture to get those companies interested because they had a perception, right or wrong, that they were the companies that they wanted to be bidding because they had the right skills and capabilities. So I think that teaming thing is a really, really important element to consider is what does the overall offer look like and be willing to accept part of the pie rather than trying to take the whole thing and not getting anything at the back of it. And I think the research thing, which we talked about briefly, and it goes without saying that the longer you can get your capture phase, the more research you can do into your clients. Think about the episode we did with Genevieve Kitchen probably a year ago now talking about, they call it prospect research. And some of this, we were going to have our breakfast event and I kind of got a bit worried by it. And she assures me it's completely compliant with GDPR because she was like, give me a couple of people in the audience that will be like up for doing it and I will prospect research them. I won't embarrass them, but I bet you I can tell you stuff they never knew was in the public domain mm. about their likes, their wants, their needs. And actually our friends AIG Applied Influence Group talks about this as well, like about personal preferences, even down to like what's on their LinkedIn photo. It's funny, like we did a bit of prospecting, prospect research for a bid recently. And I did all the notes, you know, we had the team go on LinkedIn and find out their career history. And then I got to get look at the photos of the person on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And just even if they were all they're showing the cover photo, we knew that one of the people in the client team was dead keen on kayaking or like outdoorsiness. Because on his Facebook, it was him in a kayak up a mountain. On his Twitter, there were pictures of him hiking. Mm. And so put it in the notes to the team about who they're going to see. He's like, oh, do you know this guy? Have you been like mountaineering with him before? It's like, no, I just looked on his Twitter. But when you're building that relationship then in that capture phase and you're trying to really dig down into what they really want to do, knowing those personal attributes and kind of personal drivers of a person can really help you to build rapport and in turn get more detail and more information about the client and the opportunity. So there's kind of personal research, that prospecting research, and then I guess corporate research that you need to consider in your capture plan as well as like, how are you going to find out and really dig into and understand, I don't know, their sustainability policy or their social value policy or their business growth strategy for the next five years or Mm. what their CEO really wants to achieve behind what's written in the glossy annual report. So I think that that research piece is is really important to get right. Yeah, I do. I mean, in in the biddings, stuff that I teach we uh, we go through a bit that's about the sort of personality DNA of the people that you're writing the bid to and building the proposition to because of course if you've got five or six different people writing a bid reading a bid or parts of it and you can profile who they are you can then have more detail in the one that's you know the bit that's for the people who are more detail orientated more graphic content for the people who are more orientated that way etc and you need to pick that stuff up in the capture phase. It's very difficult to nail that once the bid's out, obviously. And in fact, I was going to talk to you about having my mate Chris Henderson on. He was on one of our breakfast event panels. He's at PwC now, but he worked with me at Mace before that. I think he was at Compass, where they even got into, they figured out a way of projecting disk profiles onto the client people they were writing bids to. So they could, in effect, fill out a disk profile for them. That's their personality DNA of likes and wants. 
And, you know, they then shaped their beard and their engagements and their pitches around that, responding to that. Very clever stuff. I'll have to get Chris on one day. I, want, I wanted to get him on about well-being stuff, but might get him to talk about that as well one day. Yeah. I can't wait, you know, to get back to doing the breakfast events. I was chatting to someone this week and just saying, really miss doing those events and the other stuff we did that we didn't use to talk about public and other, you know, the other kind of stuff we did behind the scenes. Getting those interesting speakers, getting bid people together, getting talking. Yeah, miss it. We need to find a way to do it. You know, I'm webinar out. I'm anti-webinar, but maybe video cast is the way forward. I don't know. But yeah, we had some good speakers at those events. Sorry, we're going off topic now, aren't we? We're talking about it on Sunday, aren't we? We're having a, a, a conflab, but we'll find a way to do it differently. Yeah, because we, we can't just stick on yet another webinar. It's got to be different, but I don't think we're going to be able to get people in a room for a while or we'll struggle to sell. So we'll figure it out. Do something a bit more innovative. It's got to be different anyway. We're going to talk about accelerated pursuits as well, conscious of time. So I think, should we kind of cover it off in a, in a high level? And I think this might be a future episode to talk around it because we've kind of delved into capture in quite a bit of detail. And I want to make yeah. sure we get our timings right now. But we've got an advisor. We've kind of got someone who's helping us with our marketing. And she's advised that for, you know, the optimum listening and keeping people's attention, we're probably a bit long in the podcast. So we're getting a bit shorter, a bit punchier. We might one day reach the heights of podcast success. <laughs> the most listened to podcast. Um, yeah, well, let- you know what? I think we probably are. I saw Baskar posted, he's done his 50th episode and reached 2,000 downloads. And I I mean, work fair play to we've pumped those things out, but we're nowhere near year 50 yet and we're well over 2,000 downloads so maybe we can claim the title of bidding's number one most listened to bidding and proposals podcast i'll keep claiming it until (laughs) anyone can prove me different prove it wrong on the um accelerated thing to be honest it's doing all of that stuff faster obviously so what we're talking about here and the context comes back to there are a series of quite big procurements that are going to take place in q4 this year in q1 which is of course much less than 18 months away six months away so there are a lot of organizations that are already running quite hard to make sure that they're well positioned for those opportunities and i think the conversation we had last time because we recorded it and then screen sound up was you just have to run some of the activities in parallel in particular i think you were surprised i said don't worry about the relationship stuff so much really focus on your solution and how you're going to deliver it and then take that to the client and use that as the reason to talk to them. So hit them with a proactive proposal, a white paper with something a bit different, whatever it is. But you need to do the relationship stuff at least at the same time as solution. There's no point going to meet the client empty handed, have a coffee. And then by the time you get another meeting with them, that's a month gone and you've lost a, a fifth or a sixth of your program already. You know, you might as well get something interesting to say and uh, make it happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when you're on that shorter time scale you've got to be a bit more gutsy yeah i think often that's where we fall down because we take the same process for long and short capture and it probably would help actually because in that short period you've got less of a chance to influence the client and change the shape of the procurement and therefore you actually want to test what we sell off the shelf does that meet what you want and test it that's probably more what you're testing there rather than going through the long capture process where you will be really shaping a bespoke proposed a bespoke offer based on kind of what they want and you know more teaming and kind of maybe even shaping of new services or strategic recruitment and hires and all that sort of stuff you might do on a longer level of pursuit. Here, I think it's more about testing your proposition. Yeah, I could agree with that. Makes sense. 
but you just got to get on with it. That's the main thing is you've got to get a sponsor, grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, this thing's coming out in six months time. These are all the things we need to do because our competition are definitely doing that or we'll lose. And yeah. you need for this part of the business plan. So get behind me and let's meet for a coffee every Thursday morning at 8.30 or whatever it is and get on with it. Like it. Let's talk about accelerated pursuits in a further episode. I think that'd be a, an interesting one to delve into in a bit more detail. Okie doke. So should we move on to question of the day? Yes, it's an interesting one. I don't have an answer for it. Let's just do the jingle. So the question of the day from Anonymous is, I've been made redundant recently. What tips do you have for job hunting in this market? Which is a bloody difficult question. I think that's really hard because I honestly don't know. Mace is hiring and you would not believe the amount of people who've connected me on LinkedIn saying, I see you hiring, I'll be made redundant or I'm at risk. You know, what can you tell me? You know, I'm going to apply. I'm not involved in any of the bid team recruitment because not technically in the bid team. Really difficult. So didn't you do a webinar on this? I did, yeah. So I did a webinar a couple of weeks ago with Martin Smith from Bid Solutions and I had a CV expert, Liz Pocknell. Yes, there's a lady called Liz Pocknell who's been helping people write CVs to go and get a job for donkey's years and she's really very good so in fact on the growth ignition website growthignition.co.uk under about there's a page for job hunting webinar that's got a video of martin's bit of the webinar and then it's got two videos from liz on one on cv skills and one on interview skills and actually i'm recording on friday this week a further recorded interview with a lady called carol spears on well-being and particularly stress and anxiety related to being made redundant job hunting etc because a lot of people i hadn't anticipated actually a lot of people we crowdsourced the questions for it and a lot of people ask questions around that stuff which is quite challenging we've got podcast cat hey hi podcast cat i'll be able to see it but jeremy just had that weird thing when the cat's tail just goes across the video in front of him (laughs) i don't think he's ever been on the podcast before I had John Williams on from Strategic Proposals on Winning Wednesday today. He was he was our first ever guest on Work Winning Wednesday, and his cat decided. I kind of I said oh, I'm standing up, John, in line with your kind of guidance for presenting. Susan and his teams on a webinar on presenting on team and, and recommended standing up, which I do now for any kind of webinar stuff. And yeah, he's presenting just slightly away from the laptop camera, and with that kind of funny Teams filter on, you know, and you can't see the person behind. And then all of a sudden, there's like a blur in the corner, and the cat then breaks into the filter and starts licking itself. <laughs> right in the middle of the camera (laughs) but john as the ultimate professional just didn't stop made a joke of it and left the cat there and carried on i would would have pushed the cat straight off the table do they come back if you push them off is that what they do they kind of i don't know yeah just get on yeah it's life isn't it get on with it it takes the focus away doesn't it in some ways i guess yeah so there were quite a few tips in that that people can refer to they can go back and watch that video particularly with martin And then the APMP have launched an initiative this week as well, which I think it's only for members in Europe, but you can apply to get some support and coaching to deal with this period as well, which I thought is a very decent thing for them to put on. I thought that was really good and unexpected because they had a bit of a plan of work, didn't they? I know they had to pause it. There was those things saying, we've got a strategy, we just finished it, we're going to tell you all these amazing things we're going to do. And then obviously COVID started happening and nothing really got launched. But yeah, I thought that was an amazing thing to do. I don't know what it entails, but however, they've kind of pulled that together and I don't know who's, it sounds silly, but who's the expert behind it Mm. uh, in terms of like actual kind of knowledge on skills cv training etc because it's not something just 
the professionals can necessarily just do offhand. They need, if they're going to do something as an industry, they need proper professionals behind that. So I need to look at it on the face of it. Amazing, really. I mean, great to see the organization come together like that. You know, you see it in other industries. So, like in our sector, you know, the RSCS has is it Lionheart, the kind of benevolent fund for people who are going through hard times. And when I was in the ICE Institute of Civil Engineers, there was the IC benevolent fund for people who might find out financial times. And they're doing now kind of COVID related stuff to help people as an institute. And it's good that as an association, the APMP is kind of picking up that kind of mantle as well. Just as a sign, and then we're going to have topic a bit. I think that's showing the maturity of the UK APMP, that they are more of an institute type organisation thinking about more than just accreditation and training. They're thinking actually about wider men benefit. And yeah, really great. Just shows the quality of the board at the moment, doesn't it? Really good board. Well, of course, actually today, the day we're recording, they had a webinar with the guy from CCS as well, which about how to bid to them and all that kind of stuff, which was part of a bit of engagement I think they've got going on with Crown Commercial Services, which is good. Did you join the webinar? I need to watch it back. Someone has said to me, he opened up by going on a 10 minute, 15 minute rant about why they hate it when bidders use consultants to write their bids. (laughs) And then kind of had to backtrack and say, no, we don't mean like you guys. I mean, like when people literally pay another company to just create their whole proposition and put it in companies that will just essentially create the whole thing start to finish for you include the technical solution either and actually i have heard of this happening in other sectors it wouldn't really happen in like professional services like i'm in or some of the sectors your clients work in you know defense legal accounting those kind of things design but like more commodity stuff where a business will just pay someone to come up with the entire thing and essentially sell something to ccs that doesn't exist so maybe that's where he's coming from but the message i got from someone who was on it was just like this is like a car crash because essentially they've invited someone on who's now saying he doesn't like bid people. I thought well, that was quite interesting. funny. They'd selected the guy who's like head of disputes or something, which I thought set out a bit of a stance. Because I saw John Williams had tweeted about it this morning and I went to reply and then some phone rang or something like that. But yeah, I almost went to reply saying, actually, John, people like us need to go and take a certain level of conversation to CCS because they are a bit arrogant and frankly, their ITTs are shit. It's plain vanilla. We've talked about the scoring criteria on their construction framework last year, which basically just meant it was a price contest. And it's not on. So I can say that now because I'm not attached to any bids to them. <laughs> um, so I'm say what I want. And that's what I've wanted to say for about a year. So I kind of, I think John had said, let's not throw any curveballs in the Q&A or something. And I think that's correct. You shouldn't sort of, you know, harpoon people when they're doing a webinar. But I think they it's one of the next maturity pieces with the association is we need them to start going and engaging with people like that at a different level and start influencing them on, on what we find because we find that it's found wanting really. We've gone completely off topic of what do you do if you're redundant in your job search, but I've got a very short answer for that then. So the the sort of highlights from Martin's webinar, I had some engagement on LinkedIn afterwards with people all around the world, some people in the States and Asia and all sorts of weird, uh, wonderful, but in some ways. Yeah, the answer was, I think the overarching thing was take some time after the kind of mourning period of losing your job, which is obviously very unpleasant. You take yourself out of the situation for some time and really think about which types of companies in what markets that you want to work for, in what kinds of roles, in kinds of geography. Yeah, really set yourself out of vision for what it is you want to do next and then go and research those companies really hard, engage with your network and build yourself a bit of an influencing campaign. You know, play a part in social media, write some blog posts, get on the front foot and build a bit of a, not a 
of influencer brand, but just a bit of a personal brand. And then really when you find opportunities with those organisations, obviously execute it really well and spend the right time doing it rather than a scattergun approach of apply for everything because it's pretty tough out there. So much like bidding and capture, it requires some focus actually. Go and capture yourself a job. Yeah, there's a book that I've never read, but I've heard lots of good things about the proximity principle, Mm. which is a book about how to find your perfect job. And it is all about that. It's about treating your job set like you were doing sales. So what's your network look like? Who do you want to meet? Meeting the people well before you apply to them, positioning yourself for the right job you want rather than just applying for stuff at random. There's a lot of good advice. I think there's a lot of bad advice out there as well, though. So it's good that you got that webinar. We'll have to put it in the show notes for the. Do you know what? The show notes are really. We need to think about where we put them. They're not getting many hits at the moment. So we want to make sure people get this stuff. So maybe we need to kind of find a different way of sharing these links. Because you put links on the podcast description, they appear on a lot of platforms. But yeah, we'll put a link to the webinar, right? We can share it. Yeah, yeah. It's on my white website. Yeah. We'll link it in the show notes anyway, which you can find at shortthoughts.mikereader.me for the moment anyway. Because yeah, I think that's probably a really useful talk for people. Very good. So Jeremy, we've reached the end of another episode. Yeah. On our next episode will be the live episode that we do at the Winning Business Virtual Experience, which I'm really excited about. But I think after that, I'd like to do one we can look back on series one and talk about some of our kind of favorite guests and topics and stuff. So we'll have to do a bit of listening back to old episodes and see if there's a big difference in the old episodes versus these episodes now we're a bit more practiced and we've been doing it for what year and a half now so uh, yeah what have you got planned then coming up anything exciting bits and pieces it's sort of crunch time in terms of i've got some deals that i need to land really in the next couple of weeks as my sort of morgan sindel replacement kind of stuff in the consulting stream which will see us safe then till you know into next year so i can't really talk about the who's and the the wherefores but there's some really interesting stuff on the table that would give us a whole new sort of vein of thought and then i'm talking to lupio about their lupicon their conference oh yeah so i'm waiting on an email but we may well be the official podcast for that as well i think we're the official podcast for everything (laughs) if you don't ask you don't get right yeah correct we've spoken to the uk apmp as well about doing something for bidx got a kind of cryptic i think they've been quite careful not to release any information it's got a very cryptic message from them sort of saying more will be revealed soon as to whether you can do something so hopefully we do something in the us one we also speak at the american one i think it's good fun getting us out there i hope the move into video is a one that people receive they do have to look at our faces now which probably is not the best thing and i'm gonna have to not do what i'm doing now which is turning away from you because my legs are tired and i've turned around so i can put them on the bed and right. just lean over my shoulder staring longingly at you jeremy and hopefully people can hear me over my wife's wallpaper in the dining room <laughs> <laughs> jeremy are we talking about oh you've got like proper instagram wall in your dining room i love it yeah what are you up to what have you got going on just a bid lots of stuff here yeah. bids more redefined stuff getting kind of to the end of that now some changes in our corporate bidding structure and you know what today me and kate have started looking at holiday so getting a bit more confident post lockdown where can we go in europe for i don't know a week dump the dog somewhere and just go off to a villa and not like a villa you know on the costa del sol or something you know with lots of touristy things but just like a random airbnb somewhere with a pool we can sit and do nothing around kind of end of august so a bit of holiday shopping actually any tips for anyone any good kind of holiday recommendations drop them on twitter i had to be able to fly there from london city airport seeing as i live two minutes away from london city airport so that's the only rule so we're looking at spain maybe italy france 
producer Kate's just mouthed Italy to me or shouted Italy to me so I think we're going to Italy we were going to Plymouth at the start of this conversation <laughs> I'm just get the trainer go and hang out with my parents my parents have got a small flat my mum's from Plymouth and when my grandparents passed away they used the money from the sale of their house to buy a, a holiday flat down there and we were originally just going to go to Plymouth and just chill out I was like look the money we could spend on flying to I don't know Italy we could spend on first class train tickets from London down to Plymouth and then we could just eat like amazing Deliveroo every day and it's still be cheaper than buying a villa in the south of France or Italy but no it sounds like we're going to Italy now so holiday shopping which is weird isn't it like we've been in kind of lockdown I don't know if I'm jumping the gun yeah I don't know we're not in quite in that headspace we're thinking about somewhere in the UK or somewhere we can go via Eurostar with the car France Belgium maybe the top end of Italy but probably more September October I think I'm a big I'm fan like, of Eurostar, I have to say, both with the car and as a passenger. I'm a big fan of that, but that's because we can get the train direct into King's Cross, you see, jump over to St Pancras and off we go into Europe. It probably takes you a shorter amount of time to get to King's Cross than it does me, given I have to travel all the way across London and two or three different trains to get there. Yeah, it probably does, yeah. We have a 20-minute walk to the station and then 45-minute train. Anyway, holiday recommendations, listeners. I need good ideas for places that will have nice weather, a nice villa with a pool and some sort sort of corner shop that I could buy food from. That's all it needs to be. I really can't wait. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to go and uh, look at the 17 different holiday options that Katie's now found in the last hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a good episode, a bit of a random conversation. Good chat on Capture. I think we'll pick up that conversation on Accelerated Pursuits and we've got another chance. Obviously, people who have found themselves redundant, Jeremy and I are always very happy to kind of provide any advice and support we can do. Just message us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Neither of us are recruitment professionals, but can give you a view, I guess, from people who, I guess, combined probably recruited well over 50 people into different bid roles as heads of bids and other things like that. So, yeah, tough time. And do reach out because we're here and check out the APMP UK's programme as well. Cool. Have a great one, mate. You too. Catch you later. Thanks,